0: Let's just gather there for a few minutes here this morning. Uh, like I said, we're going to, at least for this morning, we're going to look at the first seven verses of chapter six, uh, and then we're going to take a break. We're going to take a month off for Max, and we're going to focus on Christmas, and then we're going to pick it right back up here in chapter six in January. Uh, so we are three months in into uh, this book, and we have made it through five chapters, which covers about, it covers a few years of Uh, the early record of the the new church. And so I'm just really curious, we're going to take just a moment, and it'll be awkward online because it'll be silence, but uh, in this room I'm just kind of curious if there's anybody that would say something has stood out to you in this study. Uh, God has spoke to you about a certain part of our first five chapters. I'm going to give you just a minute, okay, just a one-liner. You don't have to be nervous and come up with some great speech, but is there anything that's kind of stood out to you in our act series so far? Anything? i realize all of our talkers are not here today come on you're you're here you've been here there's got to be something Yeah, it's kind of hard to forget that story, huh? Yeah, when God is advancing his gospel and you're pretending to be something you're not, God takes his, God takes his holiness, God takes who he is very seriously, much more seriously than we take him. And so we need to, to be careful. Yeah, good. Anybody else? First recorded gospel message from Peter. Yeah, that's awesome. Last chance. All right. Well, I feel like we are incredibly blessed to be studying the book of Acts uh, through a global pandemic. I think it's the perfect series. For the season of life that we're in. Uh, not really sure how to explain that other than to say that when we are up against the unknown, right? Uh, which is amazing how many experts we have of something that's unknown, right? Uh, but anyway, that's another sermon for another day. Uh, we're up against the unknown or things beyond our control, right? That's been very frustrating. Um, but what we've realized is there are certain emotions. They kind of rise to the surface there's probably some emotions that you've dealt with through this global pandemic that you'd be a little embarrassed to even share here today right uh, there's the fear there's there's certainly fear rising to the surface um, there's fear of sickness right there's fear of not just getting sick but getting um, sick to the point of having to spend time on a ventilator in an ICU which it seems like the hospitals right now are just crazy packed and there's the fear of death over this unknown, why is this happening, right? Why, why do some catch it and others seem to escape it even though they're in the same room? And, and why do some just kind of breeze through with very, very mild, oh, I didn't even know I had it. I just thought it was the cold. And others are fighting for their lives, right? There's that fear of the unknown there. And then there's not just fear. If, you're, if we're being honest, there's probably some anger, probably some anger, uh, anger over mandates, <laughs> um, anger because some people think it's, it's a government overreach while others on the other opposite side are like, for the life of them, can't understand why people won't take precautions to uh, keep from having a shutdown. And, th- and then there's not just anger, right? There's, there's worry. There's worry about some people who think if my loved ones get it, if certain loved ones of mine get it, they won't survive it, right? Right? There's the worry of people's lives being turned upside down because of jobs being shut down. And my goodness, just the restaurant industry and how that's kind of front and center on all of the news right now. And, and you just, I can't even, I can't even put myself in, in their shoes of, we can't pay our electric bill. We can't put food on our table because, because we can't open our restaurant. And there's worry there. And, 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 and all of those emotions, here's the deal, the church is not immune to any of this. In fact, we are in the thick of it, as they would say. But with all of these emotions and the unpredictability of, of unknowns and all the tension that goes with that, tension, amen, it is appropriate, I think, during a pandemic of a time like this, for the church, not just the church, but us as individuals, but specifically today, for the church, to re-examine ourselves, to kind of pull back the skin, if you will, and just check out the bones, the structure, and see how strong we are. There's two. There's two questions that really I think we are always asking, not just Christians but humans in general. But it's two great questions for us to be asking during this pandemic and through the study. Who are we meant to be and what are we meant to do? It's very fitting for a pandemic and it's very fitting for the study of the book of Acts. Who are we meant to be and what are we meant to do? See, the book of Acts helps us get back to the bare bones of who we were called to be and what we were called to do as the church. Do you remember in the very first chapter, In the very first chapter, Jesus himself said, for the ones who belong to him, for the ones whom the Holy Spirit indwells, he will empower them to become witnesses of Jesus. That's Acts 1.8. That we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we will be witnesses. And immediately, Jesus immediately follows that up with, not just who we are meant to be, but what we are meant to do as witnesses of Jesus. When he says this, and you, are, you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. All right? So here's what I want us to understand this morning. The mission, the mission of the church, the mission of you and me, you and I, is this. To tell people about Jesus, the good news of Jesus. The crucified, the risen, the victorious Jesus. That's our mission. Can we agree with that? Our mission, say our mission, right, is to what? Say it with me. Tell people about Jesus. Very good. Now let me give you another word. Ministry, All right, so mission is to tell people about Jesus. Ministry is any avenue or by any means that gives opportunity for mission. I made that definition up. It's a great definition for ministry. The mission is to tell people about Jesus. That's the goal, that's the win of the church. Ministry, which is a very general, broad statement, right, that can include lots of things. Ministry is the avenue or the means by which we are given opportunity to tell people about Jesus. Now, with that in mind, let's think back over the first five chapters of Acts. The apostles saw every miracle, every run in with the temple authorities, every imprisonment, every bit of suffering as a means to what? The mission. We see that, right? On every page, Peter and John and the other apostles open their mouths in the midst of all of these things and they what? They tell people about the resurrected Christ. Every moment was an opportunity to tell somebody about Jesus. And God blessed it and the church multiplied and the world would never be the same again. We are here today because the apostles in the book of Acts in Jerusalem took seriously the mandate to go tell people about Jesus when the church uses ministry to fulfill God's mission big things happen they just do however with rapid growth comes growing pains right when things grow quickly there's some things that go along with it that causes some issues outside of the story of Ananias and Sapphira Uh, We haven't had a lot of friction so far in the first five chapters. I mean, we're talking about a few years here have passed. And in fact, quite the opposite. Luke seems to record that all of the believers were of the same heart and mind. There was unity in the new church. So at least Luke doesn't mention a lot of friction going on. That is until chapter 6. Because in chapter 6, we get our first glimpse of a hiccup. A growing pain, if you will, of the church. So if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 6, verse 1, says this. But as the believers rapidly multiplied, man, just what an amazing sight that would be to see. The church rapidly, not adding to, but multiplying. There were rumblings of discontent. Now... This is good news for us because if we're going to be honest this morning, we probably relate more to verse 1 of chapter 6 than a lot of what we've read so far over the first five chapters. The church is growing and there is some complaining because there are some that are becoming discontent. So what's causing the rumbling? What's causing the complaining? He goes on to say in verse 1, the Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers saying... That their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So the complaint was that a certain group of widows were being discriminated against. So this is kind of a a big accusation that's been thrown at the Hebrew speaking believers. First of all, here's what I want us to acknowledge about verse 1. First, let's acknowledge that the church has already remedied one, at least one problem in the church. They had widows that needed to be taken care of, and so apparently somewhere along the birth of the church, they started a distribution program where they took care of the widows of the church. There was nobody to, 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 to serve them or to, to help gather food for them so they could eat. And so the church took it upon themselves to put a system in place to distribute food to all of their widows. It's pretty cool. Saw a need and they met it. They saw a need, they put a system in place to continue meeting it. However, the Greek-speaking widows here were not being treated the same as the Hebrew-speaking... In fact, the Greek widows were being overlooked. They weren't getting their supplies. They weren't getting the distributions. So we're not told if this discrimination was on purpose or if it was a situation where there's a group of people just falling through the cracks. In fact, if you read a lot of commentaries, they would probably suggest the latter due to where they lived, where the uh, the, the Greek-speaking Jews uh, Christians lived versus the Hebrew but we won't get into all of that but here's what we are told from verse 1 that there is a problem arising within the church and people are aware and when people are aware of a problem people start to complain so what will the apostles do well they do what any good Baptist church would do they call a meeting <laughs> verse 2 says this so the twelve called a meeting of all of the believers. And they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God, not running a food program. Now, this sounds a little insincere at first glance from the apostles, but I uh, assure you that was not their intent. The apostles were certainly concerned about the widows of the church. But their primary concern was the ministry of the word over the ministry of serving tables. You see, the apostles understood that their primary responsibility was not to feed widows bread, but to feed the entire church, including the widows, the bread of life. That's what Jesus had commissioned them to to do, and they were unwilling, hear this, and they were unwilling to give up one for the other. The apostles, this is so, so wise on the apostles' part, they saw there was a need, but they also understood that if they took time to go serve that need themselves, then nobody was doing a first concern of praying and preparing and leading the church. Spiritually. Hmm. But there is a problem. And the problem does need a remedy. So, what's the solution? Well, verse 3 goes on to say this. And so, okay, they just said, listen, we're about teaching the word, not running a food program. So, brothers, select seven men who are well respected and are full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility right so now they're really doing the baptist thing not only have they called a meeting now they formed a committee all right so we are getting into the gist of it and listen so they put together this committee and here's here's the qualifications men who are spirit filled men who are wise men who are well respected and men who are responsible because the apostles say we'll give them this responsibility and here's the responsibility to serve the tables to serve the widows, to make sure that everything is getting done that needs to be done. Verse four. Then we apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. Again, they're just reminding us that their primary job was the spiritual health of the church. They're not saying the physical needs of the church are not important. They're just realizing their responsibility is the spiritual health of the church. All right, verse five. Everyone liked this idea. There's a joke there, I'm sure, because the apostles have called a meeting, they've put together a committee, and no time in the history of the church have you had a meeting with a committee where everybody agreed, but it's happened here. We have a miracle church in chapter six. The entire group of believers agreed that this is a great idea. So he goes on to say, they chose the following men. Stephen, we're going to read much more about him in January, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, Philip, Pro- Procurus; Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas of Antioch. Wow. Who was an earlier convert to the Jewish 6 these seven were presented to the apostles who prayed for them as they laid their hands on them one of the things that i found fascinating and, and maybe you would like to know as well is many commentaries suggest that this was the first deacons of the early church and you're like well i've heard that w- w- term deacons a lot what does it mean it simply just means this a deacon is the chief servant of the church and so the apostles have said here's what we're going to do we, we, we don't have time. Our responsibility is to, to, be in the, to be in the spirit, praying for the church, teaching all, things, all people about the, the glory of God and, and all of the characteristics of who he is and, and who we are to be because of who he is and what he has done. And so I want you to select seven men. And they selected seven men, and, and the apostles laid their hands on them and they prayed over them and they gave him this commission to go run this program it's also interesting that it's the greek speaking believers that were complaining and all seven of these men are greek speaking i love that i think there's a sermon right there in that that sometimes when you see a need that brings you to the point of needing to voice your concern it might be time for you to get involved in that need It was important enough of a ministry for the apostles to, to pray over them and lay their hands on them. Uh, but some people might just look at that and say, but it was just feeding them, right? Isn't there more important ministries? And I would say not when we understand that every ministry is just a means to the mission. We're all headed to the same place of telling, declaring, The good news of Jesus. When ministry is the open door of opportunity to declare Jesus, then every ministry matters. Verse 7. So God's message continued to spread. Praise God. It continued to spread. I don't think it's an accident either. Right? That the apostles stayed in their lane. And they understood that their job was to continue to pray and to preach the good news of Jesus. And that they they set aside these men and gave them the responsibility to to lead these physical ministries. And I don't think it's any accident that those two things happened. And verse seven says that the message continued to spread. The number of believers greatly increased in Jerusalem. And many of the Jewish priests were converted too. just kind of, Luke kind of just throws that in there, and then he moves on. But this is, this is important because the priests were those who were hostile to the gospel. They were hostile to the apostles, but they're seeing physical needs, the love that goes with meeting physical needs, and they're hearing the spiritual word being preached. And what they're seeing and what they are hearing is changing. The hearts of even those we would think can never be changed. I love it. Yeah, the displaying and declaring of Jesus changes the lives of even the most unlikely of people. And God's, here's how seven ends, and God's mission continues through the ministry of the church. And that's all I'm going to preach today. I got a few things to say. A couple observations about those seven verses. The first thing I want us to observe is this, that pro- problems are inevitable within the church as it grows. There's going to be problems. If you, I heard this once, and I've said it to you a few times as well. If you ever find the perfect church, don't go because you will screw it up. Because there are no perfect churches. Because churches have problems. Problems arise, but what's important is that we remedy problems with reasonable solutions. Making others aware of the problem is good. Let's, let's go ahead and throw this into to observation number one. Complaining about the problem is not the proper response. If Michael sees a problem arising in the church even to the level of discrimination going to my wife or going to Jim or going to Lisa and complaining is not the response now going to me or somebody else in the church and go I'm seeing this I'm seeing this problem we need a remedy Bringing, making us aware of the problem, that is the proper response. Here's observation number two. The passage introduces two types of ministry. Broad statements here, but I think we see them both in this passage. There is ministry that focuses on the spiritual needs, and there is ministry that focuses on physical needs. Both are important. Both are necessary. Both are God-given. Both are biblical. However, one is a means to the other. We know that. We talk a lot about that right here. A gospel-centered church balances both the physical and spiritual ministries. One without the other can produce abusive and dangerous outcomes. Let me give you a few examples. If we just preach Jesus, if we just preach Jesus without practicing love, we might become labeled hypocrites. We talk a good game, but our lives don't match what we preach. Or maybe we'll be labeled Bible thumpers, right? That's where we we study the word, not... grow closer to the lord we study the word just so we can win arguments we're not we're not concerned about winning hearts (laughs) we want to win arguments I'm right is more important than seeing a life changed so that's one danger but what if we become a church that's all about love 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 let's just serve people let's just love people and we never preach Jesus Then we become just social justice uh, warriors. And you're like, well, what's wrong with social justice? Nothing. But social justice only remedies problems temporarily. If we become a social justice warrior, it just helps people temporarily but leaves them vulnerable about eternity. We can feel good about giving widows bread, but if the widow dies without Jesus, then all we've done is give her bread to temporarily relieve a problem. We need both, right? We need both. It is right for us to meet both the physical and the spiritual needs of one another. We serve physical bread. And we serve spiritual bread. That's what I love about the kingdom rule that we talk about so often right here. Because what the kingdom rule does, it bridges the physical to the spiritual. The, 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 the gospel rule, in other words, makes every ministry... Spiritual. You hear that? The gospel rule. What's the go- you better know the gospel rule right now? John 13 15, Jesus says, I have given you an example to follow. Here's the rule: do as I have done to you. John 13, 15. Right? Paul, Ephesians 5:1. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. First Peter two twenty one. For God called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. He is your example, and you must follow in His steps. First John two six. For those who say they live in God, should live their lives as Jesus. That's the gospel that we do as Jesus did. And when we start to live that way, every physical ministry becomes a spiritual ministry. I love it. So when we feed someone that's hungry, we tell them about Jesus who can feed a much deeper spiritual hunger that we could never touch. Or when we feed somebody spiritual food, we tell them about we have a Savior that fed us food that has satisfied us for eternity. Serve water. He is the living water, right? Serve someone. We introduce them to the servant who gave up his very life. Serving. Observation number three is this: we can't become a. Um, this is not a very polished point observation, but here's how I wrote it down: we can't become a jack of all trades, master of none type church. Does that make sense? Because you know those kind of people, right? Maybe you are one of those people that you can do a lot, you you can do a lot of things a little, but you can't do anything really. I kind of feel like I fall under that category in some ways. Yeah, we can't become a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-none type church. Everybody has a part to play in the church. Everybody has a part to play. Everybody has a place to serve. Everybody has been gifted by God to fulfill certain roles, roles within his church. And we do need masters. Of ministry. There are some who need to physically, there are some who primarily need to serve physical needs of the people. I could I could name names of people in this church that has a heart for that, that, that they are automatically driven, leaning towards, meeting physical needs need because they text me and they email me and they they call me and they keep sharing with me can we help this can we help this can we help this and we want to we want to celebrate that and we want to help them grow in that ministry but also we need to understand there are some who primarily need to serve the word through prayer and teaching so those there's those who need to serve the word through prayer and teaching there's others who need to primarily serve tables, that just means meeting the physical needs of people, and we need to stay focused on our specific role to play while we all are headed towards the same goal, the mission, to tell people about Jesus everywhere. Whether we're here at a gathering, we sing, we preach Jesus, or whether we're at the Arlington serving people graham crackers with marshmallows and chocolate in between. We go and we love them and we serve them as Christ has loved and served us, praying for an open door of conversation to tell them about Jesus and his goodness. Every ministry is a means to the mission. And every one of us is called the ministry. I don't know what that looks like for you, but I do know every ministry is headed towards the same goal, the same goal. Can I end with some text out of Second Corinthians? Second Corinthians chapter five. Just listen to this text. This is Paul. We're going to be introduced to Paul in just a well, probably. Six eight weeks now, um, here in the study of Acts. But in Second Corinthians, Paul, uh, it's kind of a bummer. Just kind of gave the movie away, right? Yeah. So, so Paul ends up getting saved. All right. He's a bad dude in Acts, and he gets converted, and we're going to learn all that. But he's writing letters to the Corinthians, to the Christians at Corinth, and, and here's what he says in Second Corinthians chapter five. I just want to start reading in verse seven because he's talking about the conversion of of uh unbelievers to believers. Here's what he says. And anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old is gone. A new life has begun. And all of this is a what? It's all a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us the task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So, it, in just a short passage, Paul says God has given the task of reconciliation. That's the ministry, and he's given us the message of reconciliation. That's Jesus. So, verse twenty says, "So we are Christ's ambassadors, God." making his appeal through us. Every time I read that, it makes no sense to me. And then it goes deeper here. We speak for Christ. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So that's why we need to start taking seriously anything we do as a church in displaying and declaring the gospel. Because Paul says that when we go make s'mores for people. The whole time praying that God would open a door of a conversation. There is a big plan at work and that is this. God making his appeal through us. We are speaking on behalf. Of Christ do you feel the weightiness of that that when we display and declare Jesus we are speaking on behalf of Jesus Christ wow And so can we end a few years ago we came up with a mission statement as a church and we are trying to live as, as close as we can to this mission statement because we believe this mission communicates our identity as Christians. It communicates the mission that we have been given as Christians. And so I want to put it on the screen and I want us to just say it together. In fact, we're going to end our service this way. Would you just stand with me? And I want us to take seriously this, this commissioning, that this is not a commissioning that We we give for certain events. This is this is the commissioning that I want us as a church to to live by every single day of our lives. Let's say it together. We are a family of servant missionaries, committed to displaying and declaring the good news of Jesus through our everyday lives. Who are we? We're a family of servant missionaries. What do we do? We display and we declare. We display with physical needs by fulfilling, by meeting the needs of physical needs. And we declare Jesus, which is fulfilling the spiritual needs. And how are we going to do that? Just through our everyday lives. By the way, that is the commission. Tell people about me everywhere. On the way to work, at work in the car on the way home from church today with your family, on the phone with your parents or your children, and through an email. Everywhere we are. We are a family that loves, we are servants who serve and we are missionaries who declare. We tell people about Jesus everywhere and everything we do. And here's the beauty of this, small church I mean we have here today like 40. But listen to this. 49 people in this room. Which means we're all going in 49 different directions tomorrow. Which is 49 opportunities to tell people about Jesus. Small church, but I'm telling you, if we can if our ministry can connect with God's mission big things can happen. Amen?